Welcome back to the Individual Matters Learning About Learning vlogcast. Today we're discussing the five fundamentals to behavior management in the classroom. My name is Andrew Caton, and I'm here with my wife and co-host, Dr. Katrina Caton, clinical psychologist. Hello, everyone. Okay, there are five fundamentals to behavior management in the classroom. Boundaries, solid relationships, predictability, positive reinforcement, and modeling. Let's start with boundaries. What are they? Why do they matter? How do you set them? So boundaries is the first one, and I think it's probably the most important because it really shows us where one person leaves off and another begins. What are the limits? What are the expectations? How do I know how to behave? Who are we? What are we doing? And whenever boundaries come up, it's very typical for people to tend to set a boundary to change someone else's behavior. When in fact, when setting a boundary, the most important thing is that you are changing your own behavior. So as the teacher, the parent, the leader, the whole idea of, of setting clear boundaries is it's really focusing on your own behavior and what you're willing to do, what you're willing to tolerate, and that teaches people how to treat you or how to behave in the classroom. So the first part of boundaries is change your own behavior and focus on what you're going to do or not do. And what happens when boundaries are not respected or if there's an expectation or a behavior or an emotion or a responsibility that goes over that boundary? So one person may be responsible for something, but it gets placed in another person's, you know, in their their territory or in their yard or what, what have you. Why is that a problem in the classroom? Or can you give us an example of how that creates problems for students and the teacher? Well, anytime that there's not a clear boundary, then I think it can lead to anxiety. It can lead to uh, kids messing up when they're not really intentionally messing up. It can lead to damaged relationships. And boundaries can really fail as being too rigid or in too enmeshed. So the idea is to really intentionally set the boundary of what is appropriate in this particular setting. So this includes making uh, a student responsible for another student's behavior, whether good or bad. And so maybe a student, I, I always think about a student who's unfairly punished maybe for another student's actions or the class's actions, or a student who is responsible for, you know, maybe pulling another student along or something like that. And I can see how that could be kind of confusing because if it goes outside of what that individual is actually capable of managing or being responsible for, that's going to create some, some stress. Absolutely. So one of the big ones that you can think about is how much chit chat or side talk is a teacher willing to tolerate? And when is it okay to talk to your neighbor? Or when are you supposed to be listening? And the boundary with that really helps the students know what is the expectation? Am I to be quiet? Am I to be talking to my neighbor? Can I, do I need to raise my hand? Can I shout out the answer? An example would be, okay, let's use raising your hand. This is a great example. So if I'm the teacher and I want children to raise their hand, then I'm only going to call on people who have their hand up. And so I'm gonna, my behavior is I'm going to focus on the kids who raise their hand, and then I'm going to reinforce that by calling on them. So the other piece of it is that comes in here is, one, it's changing my behavior to set the boundary, and two, boundaries are set with action, not words. So if I say hey, don't call out. I'm only going to talk to you if you raise your hand. I've already blown my own boundary because I'm talking to you because you didn't raise your hand. So the best way to set the boundary right out of the gate 
is when a child raises their hand, I call on them, I talk to them directly. When another kid does not do that, I don't respond, I don't engage, and they learn very, very quickly that the boundary is not shouting out, but you need to raise your hand. And that's an example of a teacher respecting his or her own boundary as well, rather than telling another person what to do. They're simply stating or modeling what they are going to do and how they're going to interact with other people across that boundary. Um, you mentioned that uh, it's it's easier to set boundaries earlier than later. Absolutely. you got to set them right out of the gate. It's much easier to relax a boundary than it is to tighten them up. And we see this all the time is that we let something go, and then later it's really hard to kind of reel that back in and set that firmer boundary. So you're always better off setting that hard, firm boundary And then as the dynamics change, you might be able to loosen those up a little bit if need be. One approach we used to use in the classroom was contracts, student-teacher contracts, where all the expectations were laid out at the beginning of the year. It was very clear. Everything was measurable as well. So, you know, you could see exactly what is expected and what is acceptable and what's not. And then you could go back to the contract if there was ever a disagreement or any confusion around uh, appropriate behavior or expectations or consequences or what have you, you go right back to that contract and say, hey, you remember this is what we agreed to at the beginning of the year. And those, that lays out those boundaries. It's not demonstrating through action like you talk about, but it, it, all, it puts it in writing just like in the adult world. It's the same way that we operate in the adult world. So you put it out there for the, for the students to read, to understand, to ask questions at the beginning of the year. You hold those boundaries, whether it's turning in late work, late credit. And then as the year goes on, if, they, if it's appropriate to relax some of those or in special situations or so, what have you, then that's fine. But it's a lot easier, like you said, to relax those after they've been set up and strictly followed than it is to come in sort of wishy-washy, anything goes, and then try to tighten things up once there's already a problem. Absolutely. And the reason is because boundaries teach people how to treat us. So whatever boundary I set, meaning with my own actions, I am telling the other person, hey, this is how you can treat me. This is what I'm willing to tolerate or not. Okay. So boundaries are the lines or limits between one person and another, their behavior, thoughts, actions, so forth. Best to set them earlier than later and set them more strictly than you would anticipate needing so that you have that wiggle room to loosen things up as the year goes on. Boundaries are about changing your own behavior, not trying to change others. Boundaries are set with action, not words. It's easier to set them firm and relax later than to tighten them up later. And boundaries teach people how to treat you. Great. And we did another podcast a while back on boundaries and how messy boundaries lead to all sorts of problems. So if, you, if you're listening to this and you want to get some more information, check out that podcast as well. Okay, we talked about boundaries. The second fundamental to behavior management in the classroom is solid relationships. Talk about that one. So building rapport and solid relationships with each student is critical to behavior management in that classroom. So you want to know the class as a whole, but getting to know each child, a child who feels heard, seen, understood, who feels like connects with you, is going to respect your boundaries, is going to follow your rules, and is going to want to show up and make you proud. Kids always want to make 
those who are important to them proud. And so building that relationship is so important. And it really has to be that individual connection with that child. Thinking about the first week of school, that's when these relationships begin to be built. Kids may be anxious. Teachers may be anxious. Um, you know, you're, you're in a brand new grade, brand new class, brand new teacher. Are there any tips or, you know, some go-to approaches that can scaffold positive and healthy relationship buildings? Is there something that somebody can reach into their bag of tricks and, and use if, if in doubt? So the first thing is I try to remember, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm teaching a class and this is my 10th year teaching fifth grade, and I'll probably have several more, yeah, I might have lots of first days of fifth grade, but that child only gets one. So I try to just remember it's really, really special for them. And then the next piece is to get to know them, ask them questions if it's a appropriate for them. You know, an introvert probably doesn't want you to call on them and ask them those questions. Um, But asking them and getting to know them. So you can do that through direct conversation. You can do that by noticing them, notice interesting things about them. You might compliment them on things they do well, greeting, eye contact, all the nonverbals definitely communicate rapport building. Uh, Simply observing really using that time to observe and notice interesting things about kids will help build that solid relationship. Sometimes when I uh, run a group, what I will do on the first day is instead of just saying, okay, here's the rules, here's the expectation, here's the syllabus, and lay it out, I will pause and say, what do you guys think? What kinds of things do you need to be a successful learner? What kinds of things have you learned in the past that was really helpful? What are some classroom rules that you guys as a whole like, or maybe there's some that you don't like, not to say that that means they're going to be the rules or not the rules, but you're really giving them a chance to be thinking about what they need and why it matters. And we all know when we come up with it, then we're much more likely to follow along with it. Well, you talk about rules, and actually that reminds me of an approach that 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 I had seen in the past that I really liked, which, and this helps with boundaries as well, is to bring the students in on the rule making or the rule setting in that first day or first week. So talking about what the rules of the classroom should be and why, because I think they'll come up with the rules that are appropriate and that actually work. And in doing so, you get that empowerment, you get that, un- that relationship building, that it's more of a team concept versus a top down, here's the rules, you know, you got to follow them. There's versus them saying, okay, well, this, we're part of this classroom. We're part of creating this community. Um, let's let's think about what these boundaries are and identifying some good rules that'll protect them for everybody. And then that helps them get along and know each other a little bit better as well as with their teacher. Absolutely. I think it also will give you some big insight into um, how things have gone before and what's been successful or how they see things. It will also help um, you word the rules and expectations in the way that they would word them and the, based on the way that they see them, which can be incredibly powerful. Great. All right. Boundaries, solid relationships. The third fundamental is predictability. What's that about? When children feel safe, they're able to learn. And we feel safe when things are predictable. So consequences, rules, expectations, positive reinforcement, all of it has to be predictable. It has to be laid out early. It's got to be concrete and it's got to be measurable. 
things that are measurable are much easier to predict than things that aren't. So the example would be, we're respectful. Well, that's not a measurable. That makes it really hard to know and predict this is considered respectful and this is not. So the more concrete and measurable it is, the easier it is to keep it predictable and consistent. These are seeds for some really good classroom discussions at the beginning of the year. Measuring out these expectations, being very specific and very clear about what is meant. Different kids, different families, different teachers, we all come from different backgrounds. Certain actions or words or whatever may be acceptable in some homes or some classrooms and may not be in others. And so, again, this builds that emotional intelligence too, right, which is thinking about what, how others feel that an action that you might engage in somewhere else might not be appropriate here. So really measuring those out. Yeah, that's, I think that would be a, a good, again, a good team building exercise. It, again, it helps with boundaries. It helps with those relationships. So these all build on each other. If you think about solid relationships, when you are in a friendship or a coworker situation or a boss situation and that person is predictable, your relationship is solid. When they um, violate a boundary or they're not predictable, it can feel really damaging to the relationship and can just feel like you've been blindsided, um, particularly for kids who are very loyal and um, they expect that predictability because they want to know they can count on you and they want to feel safe. What are some different reasons, do you think, without going too far into this, what are some different reasons that uh, expectations in the classroom may not be predictable? Why is there variation? Why are certain expectations relaxed? Um, I mean, right away when we just talked about so solid relationships and you want to build a solid relationship with your student and they forget to turn something in or you know, maybe they had a tough week and there's a behavior that crosses a boundary and you're tempted to relax that and say, well, you know, just this once, that's fine. But that doesn't work out very well, does it? No, and I'd say probably the number one reason is that teachers are caring people who want to be there and they see that their students have different needs. And, you know, you can see that bad day and this idea, this fear that um, if you're too too concrete or too rigid, that somehow you might damage the relationship. However, it's actually the opposite. And so when you're consistent and predictable and it's delivered with empathy and caring, it becomes about the issue and not about the relationship. The second thing is uh, it's really misplaced ownership. So whose problem is it? And so if we really make sure that it's the child that owns the problem and the child that gets to solve the problem, then it's a lot easier to be consistent and predictable because it's really about teaching the kid to think as opposed to enforcing a consequence. You know, that's going back to the idea of a class contract. I, I really like that idea because if an issue comes up, you can, as a teacher, you can say, okay, well, let's, let's pull out the class contract and let's see what we agreed to here. And then you can huddle over that and figure out where this issue falls. And, and it makes it clear, as you said, that it's not between the teacher and the student. It's, it's not about being too strict or being too lax or, or making exceptions. It's really, what, what does it say in the contract? Let's go back to that. And that student then knows every time this is the expectation to the point where I think uh, they may not even, you might not have the issues or the arguments because they, they'll know. They'll say, well, I can see right here on you know, whatever expectation it was, that's, that's just not, it's not accepted. 
and it can't be a boundary if it's not predictable. It, then it's wavering and it's moving around and that's not a solid boundary. And I think we could all reflect on uh, maybe bosses or leaders we've had in the past where there were some, um, particularly I can think of some supervisor where there was no way I'd be late for a meeting. In fact, I showed up 15 minutes early just to be sure I wasn't late. Whereas there's other supervisors where I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I can roll in five or 10 minutes late, they'll be fine, I'm not gonna get in trouble. And I know my behavior was very different on how predictable these boundaries were. That's a great point. You can think about that with bosses, friends, family members. Anyway, not to go too far down that road, but okay. So we have boundaries, solid relationships, predictability. The fourth fundamental is positive reinforcement. What is that? So positive reinforcement is essentially the consequence of what do we get, what do we do, what do we have when we get it right? The data is clear, the research is clear, positive reinforcement is the strongest shaper of behavior. Punishment works sometimes temporarily or for certain uh, particular behaviors in the moment, it's sort of a quick fix, but long-term behavior management in the classroom is absolutely dependent on positive reinforcement. And there is data across all settings, all ages, School, home, it's clear. Positive reinforcement is the winner. Positive reinforcement is, just so I'm clear, so everybody's clear, positive reinforcement is providing something as a reward. Right, so there's lots of different ways. So you could, if there's a behavior and you don't like it, you can implement a punishment. So that's not positive reinforcement. What we're talking about here is what behavior do I want? What do I want to see more of from my students? And in order to get more behavior that I want, then I reinforce that. And there's lots of different ways to do it. Uh, Positive reinforcement can be a smile. It can be a pat on the back. It can be social acknowledgement. It can be attention. It can be something you touch, something you eat. It can be a big, big reinforcement or it can be small. Um, and what's really reinforcing to individuals may be different. And again, it goes back to kind of building that relationship. An introvert may not want an audience when they get praised, but they may want that whisper on the way out to lunch, like you rocked it today, that was awesome. And then you're gonna get more behavior that you want, as opposed to management being eliminating behaviors you don't want, The whole focus here is shifting to what do I want? What do I want to see more of? And you get that through positive reinforcement. And there's lots of different, as I understand it, lots of different approaches and philosophies to addressing behaviors that you don't want. If you're looking for the positive behaviors, it shifts your attention. It shifts your focus. Now you're not looking for rule breakers and, and, um, you know, uh, crimes in the classroom. You're looking for good deeds. You're looking for the best of your, the best in your students. You're looking for the positive. You're looking for the upside. And so that shifts your own focus as well. And that's important because of what we're talking about next, the fifth fundamental of behavior management, which is modeling. Again, if we go back and look at the research, we know that uh, modeling is the way children learn from very young, Um, on up. Modeling is very, very powerful when it comes to learning. And so when you're thinking about behavior management and what do you want your students to know, how do you, how do they know the boundaries? How do they know the climate in the classroom? It really starts with modeling. And the whole idea of modeling is why 
we might see the trickle-down effect of um, a leader sort of creating the culture within an uh, organization or a teacher kind of creating that climate within the classroom. And the thing about modeling is it's a little bit difficult to define because it's the unmeasurables that really get modeled after. Seems like a good practice for teachers to think about. I know when I was in the classroom, I think about it as well. Whatever I'm expecting of the children or of the students, am I doing that as well? So if the students are expected to have tidy, organized binders and tidy, organized desks, what does my desk look like? Do I have papers all over the place? You know, am I just, uh, is, is, it, is it messy? Is there, um, you know, did I leave my lunch out? Or is there still stuff on the, the chalkboard or on the whiteboard from the last class? Is it just disorganized? Because if that's what I'm modeling, that's what they're going to pick up on. And it's not really fair to have the expectation that they be organized when everything around them that's being modeled to them is exactly the opposite. Yeah, so another great example is go back to that boss, and I'll tell you about those two supervisors I had. One was never late. She was never late, therefore I was never late. I mean, there were other reasons too. The other one had looser boundaries about it and was sometimes on time, sometimes early, sometimes late. And so that sort of became the climate of a more laid back, we kind of get there when we get there and we start. And that modeling of behavior set the tone for the two supervision groups, absolutely. So smiling, patience, I guess, being calm, tone of voice. I mean, you can model calmness. Even if you're upset, if you just look calm, you're going to create a calm environment in your classroom. The kids will pick up on that. Absolutely. And you can model vulnerability. It's okay to have emotion. It's okay to be stressed when the computer crashes. But how you're handling that absolutely is modeling to those students is what is the expectation of how they're going to handle it when they realize they left their binder at home. Sure. I guess any mistakes you make in the classroom, um, that's a good opportunity to model honesty, to model that vulnerability. The and ownership show. of it. And as you were saying, the, the big one is nonverbals. So the nonverbal aspects of communication are heavily modeled. And there's a lot of cool studies out there about that, um, <laughs> kind of the monkey see, monkey do. And this whole idea that um, do as I say, not as I do, never going to work. Okay. So we went through the five fundamentals to behavior management in the classroom, boundaries, solid relationships, predictability, positive reinforcement, and modeling. And what I love about all five of these is that you can hear how they play off of each other, and they're all very closely related. And there's this theme of reducing power struggles because it no longer becomes about the power struggle. And so maybe we could, we've talked about kind of more generally what the fundamentals are, and maybe we get into some specific examples of some behavior challenges that you might have in the classroom, and we'll run it through those five. So there you have it. Those are the five fundamentals to behavior management in the classroom. We will do some follow-up vlogcasts where we'll go into more detail about each of these, but that is it for now. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>